0: Welcome back to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast, episode 24. This week, we've got Sean O'Toole as we celebrate Property Radar going national. This week, we also cover what is public records or what are public records, uh, the different kinds of public records, and why tools like Property Radar are so incredibly valuable, saving you time and money, finding very unique opportunities in the realm of public records. You won't want to miss this week. Welcome back to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast, the podcast for real estate professionals dedicated to driving business using data. I'm Aaron Norris. Uh, Today with Sean O'Toole with Property Radar and November has been a very big month for Property Radar. We went national. Congratulations.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's uh, multiple years in the works. Probably started the project three years ago and uh, have been actively uh, massaging the data for the last two years to get it to a point where we Felt it was ready to go live and, you know, and there's still lots of work to do, right? We've got 15 years, really, you know, I first started building a public records database in California in 2002. So, you know, 18 years of perfecting that data in California and two years in these 45 other states, you know, um, 11 years in Arizona, Nevada, Washington, Oregon. So... You know, it, it'll be a while before you know these other states are as good as what we have in California, but uh, we're we're still pretty excited about it, and and I think the last two years were well spent getting it to a place where where we're reasonably happy with it.
0: What keeps you so motivated to keep investing resources in property radar? I mean, that's a long journey.
1: Yeah, um, you know, uh, early on, right? I, I did see uh, kind of the. Foreclosure cycle coming, um, and with the launch of Foreclosure Radar back in 2007. But even before that, you know, I kind of had this vision of creating um, a Bloomberg terminal for real estate. And uh, you know, I was a little naive at the time about how hard or easy that would be, right? Uh, the the you know what what Bloomberg really did is you know he provided this terminal that gave uh, traders and others in the finance space access to you know really up to the millisecond you know up to the second at least uh, information on the financial markets right Um, so stocks bonds commodities uh, money markets etc and i thought god that needs to happen for for real estate um and then that also put me on just a a larger uh, You know, so that was that's where I started, right? And um, I I think we're still a long way for that. And the biggest problem there is, uh, you know, really how public records are set up. You know, in the financial markets, it's you know large, uh, you know, entities, but they're they're run with a purpose, right? Like the Nasdaq, the New York Stock Exchange, these commodities markets, et cetera, right? They they are financially driven. public records especially around real estate comes from the county recorder or the county assessor right uh county gis departments and there's 3144 county or county equivalents in the u.s and wow. you know you're just never going to get uh with our current approach you're never going to get all 3144 of those to move forward to modernize to whatever so it's really hit and miss and it's a much, much harder problem than, you know, what Bloomberg solved so long ago.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for those who don't know, what is a public record?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the the general idea behind uh, public records was to provide transparency, right? And, um, you know, it it helps kind of, it's kind of the bedrock of, of democracy in my mind. And, um, you know, a transparency and rule of law. So, just exa- imagine, right, if, if we didn't have, if the assessed value of your home wasn't public record, right, then it would be very easy. And, and who the owner of the home? It would be very easy for, say, your county tax collector, which is an elected official, to give all of his buddies or her buddies, um, <laughs> you know, a big discount on their property taxes. Right? right and themselves, right and how would we know we couldn't possibly know um, you know we require lenders to record a deed of trust the actual note you know that is the is the the loan doesn't get recorded, but they are required to record this deed of trust that lets everybody know that hey Bank of America has a loan on this property right mm-hmm. and there's a benefit to Bank of America in that you know Bank of America, gets to secure their position in that property, right? By recording that loan at that date and time, everybody knows that that's when their secured interest in that property happens. And if somebody else comes in and says, well, I also have a loan on that property. Well, you look at those dates and times in the recorder's office and the person with the earlier one gets priority. Um, you know, same thing for uh But in exchange for that, we also get some data from Bank of America, right? Bank of America has to tell us the loan amount and details about the loan. Um, There's an adjustable rate mortgage rider that says, oh, this is an adjustable rate mortgage. Here's the thing thing that it's tied to and the rest. And, um, you know, so it kind of keeps, you know, it keeps everybody honest, right? Um, Or think about if you're a contractor and somebody says, hey, I'd like you to make these repairs to the you know, these changes to the house. How does that contractor know whether or not that person is actually the owner and authorized, right? Exactly. <laughs> say, That's important. Hey, modify this house. Like, hey, I'd really like you to tear down this house over here, right? And here's 50 grand to tear down this house, right? They roll up with the bulldozers and, uh, you know, <laughs> that person didn't own the house. They just really didn't like the person who owned it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, all of these things, right. And and the same thing with, with court records and the rest, right. They are what differentiate us from a banana Republic and yeah. And and they're important. And, uh, you know, unfortunately a lot of people go, you know, worry about the privacy side.
0: Right. So there's a, there's a trade-off here, but, uh, that's a pretty big trade-off. I mean, all the things that you've just discussed are pretty important. And I've, I've heard you say that before And doing research for this uh, podcast. There's a Harvard Business Review article I linked to that really talked about public records being tied to the First, the Fourth, the Sixth, the Fourteenth Amendment. Like, this is by right. We should have some transparency and it's freedom. And uh, that's all really important stuff. <laughs> How do we compare to other countries? Are, were we sort of a leader in that space?
1: Um, you know, again, it's, it's kind of what differentiates, uh, you know, kind of first world countries in some of the <laughs> ones where you have see huge corruption problems and, and the rest, you know, um, I was down in, uh, in Mexico and, uh, on the, in Baja and, uh, met a guy was staying at, a, I was staying at a really nice house and, uh, that a friend of mine has. And I met a guy that said he used to own the house next door. And I said, well, well, did you sell it? He's like, no, I'm trying to get it back. And I said, what happened? He's like, my dad died. I went to the US for three months. I came back and somebody had moved in, right? You know, and there were armed guards at the gate and uh, I couldn't get back into my own house. And he's like, so I went to the police and the police said, no, he always owned it. And I went to the judge and he says no there's no record of you ever owning that house that person has always owned that house you're crazy
0: Wow <laughs> well that and, that cements that concept real real easily <laughs> you
1: know, and that, that can't happen really at our our county recorder right um, you know one of the things that really surprises people about public records you know is mistakes do happen right like so um, there were lots of stories about uh, people that didn't even have a mortgage having their house foreclosed on, right? And when you dialed into that, what usually happened was like, somebody made a typo, right? So there's like an assessor's parcel number, and they reversed two digits, and it tied it to the wrong property. Now, there was really no legal risk for this person or anything else. Cause down in the legal description and the rest, it wasn't their house. It was this other house and only the legal description matters, whatever. Right. right. It made for great terrifying headlines that the banks are stealing homes from people that don't even have a mortgage. Right. But it was a typo, right? Somebody yeah. typed, you know, two one instead of one two at the end of an 11 digit number. Right. Um, and you know, what's great or what's a little crazy, right? So, that document gets recorded at the county. Well, once it's recorded, there's really no way to unrecord it, right? Mm. So, a release will get, you know, recorded but it's kind of a bummer for that person who has the wrong APN because there's no way for them to go down and say, hey, remove this, Mm. right? Mm. And so then they're kind of half stuck just explaining it, you know, no, that we didn't have a loan that wasn't on our property. Look at the legal description. And, uh, but that's kind of how permanent these things are. Now, there is some, you know, there have been records removed under court order. Um, You know, a lot of states, uh, a lot of these records require a social security number. Of course, then your social security number was public record and anybody could go down And um, I don't know, probably 10, 10, 15 years ago, um, the counties, like in California, went under a big project to go through and redact all the uh, uh, Social Security numbers out of the public view of the the public records. But um, so, you know, but it's very hard to remove something out of the public record once it's in.
0: I think people don't appreciate. all the work that goes into something like Property Radar because, you you know, are are public records free?
1: Uh, Absolutely, right? Well, actually, technically, they're not even completely free, right? Um, You have a right to access them. However, you know, like the county recorder, um, assessor, etc., does have the right to charge you for reasonable costs. So, um, or for costs of uh, fulfilling your request, so, for example, if you go down to the county recorder and you want to get a, a copy of your mortgage, right? You can go view it online typically for free in most counties, right? But if you want a copy and they're going to print it for you, they might charge you $2 for the first page and a dollar for each additional page. So, a mortgage document that's 40 pages long, right, can cost you 41
0: bucks. It's a really short document, but that's what not what attorneys like to do. So <laughs> chances are it's probably 40 pages. Wow. And what kinds of different public records are there? You you mentioned in the recorder's office, there's court records, property records. There's so many things.
1: Yeah, there really are. You know, the, the ones that we focus on are really the uh, county recorder's office. I mean, that's where Deeds, deeds of trust, foreclosures—you know, or non-judicial foreclosures, anyways—and uh, most things dealing with real property, um, you know, uh, almost all transactions involving real property have to be in writing, and and uh, and really have to be. You don't have to record your deed, but if somebody else, you know. It's it, it's not really you know recognized until it's recorded so or a deed of trust right so if you're if you have a deed of trust you don't go down and record it somebody else goes down and records theirs well guess what they're in first position and you record yours after you're in second position, um, so uh, so the county recorder's office is big the county assessor's office is the other really important one uh, for us, and that would have uh, you know. It, they're responsible right, for uh, taxing, setting the property taxes, Right, your assessed value on which property taxes are based. And in order to do that, they need to assess the value of your home. And so typically they have a fair bit of information like square footage, bedrooms, bathrooms, uh, type of construction. And so most of that kind of what we call characteristic data um, comes from there as well as the information about the taxes, as well as the information about who the owner is. Ownership, you can kind of get off of the deeds from the recorder and you can also get, you know, who the current tax bill is going to from the assessor, right? So those are kind of your two two places for for owner information. Um, The third one that's really important is uh, the courts, right? So, um, and that would be your judicial foreclosures, um, you know, other things there would be evictions, uh, probate, divorce, you know, quite a few, quite a few things that are of interest to, uh, to folks there. And then there's others, right? Like, um, you know, not, we don't necessarily get all of these, but, uh, you know, you can go down to the code enforcement office and use a freedom of information act to get a list of all properties that currently have, a code enforcement actions pending against them, right? So that that would be still considered public record too. So then there's lots and lots of other things in the public record, but those are the ones in the real estate space that we focus on.
0: And if you've never just for fun gone down to the recorder's office or visited the website to see the process, uh, county by county is can be such a very different experience and cost, and it can take a lot of time. So not only may it cost you out of pocket some money, but it's it can be time consuming. Um, and I think that's when you really start to appreciate something like Property Radar that has put it in a very beautiful format that makes it actionable. <laughs> uh, I
1: we always we always recommend to anybody who wants to be serious, um, especially in the investor side, right? Like our home services folks that are just using public records to find you know, folks who need their services, you know, I don't think they need to go spend a lot of time at the assessor and recorder and really understand it. If you're a real estate investor, and I'd say to some degree a realtor, and you're going to be an expert in real estate, if you haven't been down, you let me put it this way, you should go down and you should sit in your county recorder's office and try to look up all the documents on your property on a friend's property, right? On your client's property and um, go through that process. And, you know, some initial really big surprises is nothing really at the county recorder's office is indexed by property, right? You can't go down there and say, show me all the documents for 123 Main Street. We do that for you. But you can't go do that really at any county recorder in the nation. There's a few where you can put in APN and it'll find some of the documents. But really, the only thing you can reliably search on is by name. So, you start with the name of the current owner, right? And then you find where the prior owner gave it to them. And then you search that owner. And then you look for the the name before that, then you search that owner, right? And you you have to go through kind of by name and put this whole story together. And um, if you do that for a couple of hours, right? um, (laughs) You'll definitely much better understand uh, the value of third-party services that do that for you. Um, Same thing with going to the county assessor's office, you know, requesting information on a property, Um, I also really recommend you go spend some time at like in the county maps, um, GIS and maps and and how each county organizes that and where that lives is a little different. Um, But going down and looking at the old subdivision maps and uh, the historical maps that underlie the property that you're on, you can find really interesting things. Um, I had a property uh, that I saw come up for sale, it was 10,000 square foot industrial buildings, and uh, the the asking price was very low, like half of what it should have been um, had they been individual ten thousand square foot buildings for sale because it was forty thousand square feet right you don 't get very many owner users who need that many square feet, and it wasn 't really of the quality and and stuff that, and it was four separate buildings. So, somebody who really needs 40,000 square feet wants a larger, you know, single building. They don't, wouldn't want this project. And uh, so, I called the broker and I said, hey, you know, can I subdivide this and sell these four separately, The, the listing broker? And he says, you know, the owner's been down to the county, we've been down to the county, you know, it's such a bummer because this would be a tremendous project, right? We would sell this no problem for double the price if we could sell these four separately. And so, you know, n- never taking no for an answer, right? I go down to the county and I talk to the folks at the county, and they're like, there's no chance. You're n- no way you could ever subdivide this parcel. Okay. And so, still not taking no for an answer, I go down to the map room. And guess what I find in the map room? What? An old subdivision map. And there was actually six parcels. Damn. Now, the lines weren't exactly where I needed them. <laughs> but the county can't stop me from doing a lot line adjustment the same way they can stop me from doing a split. I already had the parcels. The property already had the parcels. So, all I had to do was move the lines, which is wow. like 1500 bucks. And, you know, I have to have a, hire an engineer to draw up the, the new uh, things. So, for less than five grand, I took bought this project, divided it into four separate properties and sold them off individually for more than double the uh, price. Uh, I, have, I have quite, you know, the uh, broker and I have stayed friends ever since. I haven't talked to him in a little while now, but we've stayed with friends ever since because he's just so amazed I could do that. And I can't imagine what the uh, prior owner is
0: thinking. Just by going down there, I wouldn't have never. I've had to deal with the building department like that. We had had hired an engineer for a number of years, and they were going back and forth with the building department. And they finally put together a group of people together. I'm like, the new rules that you put in place since I've owned this lot is you want five hundred thousand dollars worth of infrastructure. What would you do? Because none of that's going to make sense. They're like, oh, just change the lot line to go this way and have the the exit on this side of the street, and it doesn't trigger any of that. And it was 20 minutes and it was just by having a conversation so when you get no it's such a great (laughs) that's gold i never would have thought about going to the gis department though and looking at that and that means that the county yeah
1: yeah, yeah. that
0: that they aren't doing that that's crazy wow i have never been
1: it's not their job to you know go do deep research for you right like based on what they see in the current map there's one parcel and their rules don't allow for a lot split right so it just was that it was that simple and uh but when i you know uh, this was another thing we used to do in um like in in a lot of towns you'll see these maps right and you'll see a parcel and you'll see these dotted lines right because originally that subdivision was, you say, 25 foot by 100 foot lots, right? Was how it was all subdivided, right? Right. And of course, that's not how any of us live. We're not living in row homes, right? So, you know, most of these lots have been, you know, people would buy three or four. And you'll see this on the map because it's really obvious because you'll see these blocks that are you know, of divisions. Like you'll see ones that's a two wide, then a three wide, then a four wide. And you can just physically, physically tell that, oh, that one's half the size of that one. That one's, you know, three quarters the size of this one. And, um, and uh, so, when you see that, you know, that there's these underlying 25 foot lots. So, we would buy um, properties that had a, a house and then had vacant land, right? So they basically did the yard off the side of the house, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as somebody, they were wealthier, so they bought more of these original lots, right? And, but we could come in and when you found that, you would just buy the property and then you would just simply deed. By deed, you just change the legal description to be this side or that side, right? And there's no APN, right? And so you, in, on the deed, you put a portion of APN. You know, if you go down and you ask the county, can I split this lot? They'll say no. But all you have to do is do the deed that way. And then they will, I mean, go check the rules in your state, your jurisdiction. But it, where we were, all we had to do was go record a deed. And they had to create a new APN and had to cr- split it into two parcels because it the legal description was correct and there's no law against it.
0: I, just, I think this is such a cool strategy and a lot of people don't even know, especially in markets like this where off market deals, I mean, are just so important right now. Like if we talked a a, a decade ago, you and I would be talking about short sales and trustee sales and foreclosures and the market's just really shifted and that's likely foreclosures aren't going to be a huge thing next year. Um, so th- this is solid gold. How did you get curious about this stuff? I mean... I don't think anybody wakes up and goes, you know what, I need to learn about public records. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I am. I do have a curious mind, right? Like, so that that does help. Um, and I did have a background in tech. And so having been in three tech startups where we're trying to use technology to solve problems, um, you know, other people's problems, that's what I was doing when I was in Silicon Valley, that when I happened into real estate investing after the dot-com crash, you know, it was only natural for me to use my tech skills to try to solve, you know, my own problems. And because I had a natural curious mind, you know, I started taking title officers, not the escrow officers, not that they're not nice people and you can't take them to lunch, but go take title officer to lunch, right? Mm And I would learn about title and I would learn about the issues that come up and the challenges they face in, you know, because the title officer is who writes basically the insurance policy that this person that's selling you the home actually owns it, that there aren't any, you know, uh, there aren't any claims against that property when you buy it other than the ones that are in their title exceptions, right? And so you can look at this property and go, oh, okay, this is a safe thing for me to purchase. Well, the stuff that they deal with, right, from fraudulent signatures to, you know, uh, unclear legal descriptions to all kinds of, of crazy stuff. I mean, uh, if you're a real estate investor, and you don't have a good friend who's a title officer, you're making a mistake, um, in my humble opinion, and and realtors too, right? Like, it's something you, the more you know about that stuff, the more valuable you will be to your clients.
0: I remember growing up with uh, Dad in um, where he was paying several thousand dollars a month for every county that he was interested in buying foreclosures in. Um, right. So the the data about the courthouse set. So when when you came on the scene and all of a sudden it was under a hundred dollars a month. I mean, you really disrupted the data the, the real estate game. Um, I mean, it, it's. Yeah. It,
1: you you could easily argue that I made a huge mistake there, right? So even like uh, in Texas, Roddy's foreclosures, which is really good and kind of did what we did in California there in, in Texas, um, you know, uh, their prices are significant, right? It's more like hundreds of dollars per county, or you know, I, I don't know exactly. So don't get mad at me, uh, Roddy's, if I get that wrong. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, it's very expensive. And, um, you know, so for our trusty sale investor customers, I remember early on I had a customer say, look, I I let two people go that used to track, you know, four counties for me and I replaced it with your $50 a month service. I'm like, whoa, you know, that's not necessarily what I was going for. Um, You know, so he cut his cost from like $4,000 a month to $50 a month. And so clearly I was leaving way too much money on the table as it were. And honestly, you know, uh, I think that was probably a mistake. We probably should have charged a lot more but I just had the one application and I also wanted to make it affordable for realtors. And you know, realtors are still like, oh my gosh, $50 a month, that's as much as I pay for the MLS. And I'm like, you put all the data you're into the MLS yourself. Like it's just a piece of software. Like it is, it's terrible software. Like it should cost you $5 a month. The MLS should, right? Should the actual cool. software.
0: <laughs> right. Oh my gosh.
1: Well, the MLS organizations do provide more other value and services. So I, I see where it gets to be 50 bucks, but from a, a software and all the data that we put in and all the work we do, yeah, we should be 10x what your MLS software costs.
0: And there's so many different use cases and people using the software. So let's definitely cover that because I think there's a misconception that sometimes we only work with real estate investors, but you have a lot of other different categories in the real estate, not even the real estate space. So let's, let's cover that. Who uses property radar?
1: Yeah. You know, it was, uh, I, I really was only targeting investors and realtors when I first launched it. And, um, after we were on 60 minutes with foreclosure radar, uh, Suddenly I realized like I had school CFOs using us to try to figure out how badly foreclosures were going to hit enrollment next year so that they could do their budget planning right Oh wow I didn't um, know that Yeah I had uh analysts uh um on um the the uh oh shoot the the bonds that are on um oh. uh, you know, analysts looking at, uh, bonds, I'm, I'm thinking, I can't, for whatever reason, I can't think of the word of the type of bonds, right. M- muni bond? and, and just, it's at muni bonds. Yes. Thank you. And, uh, you know, so muni bond analysts using us to try to figure out where there might be, you know, delayment and property taxes and collection on those bonds. Um, and just so many different things. Uh, a lot of government agencies, right. Uh, the um, departments of justice and uh, law enforcement looking for real estate fraud. Um, uh, uh, the code enforcement uh, departments, uh, you know. And the big thing was there, you know, back early in the foreclosure requi- crisis, they passed a law that said um, there was a thousand dollar a day fine for lenders who were taking these properties back and not securing them and taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And but they had no. There's no. It's, it's the code enforcement departments had no way to find out who the lender was right so you think it's county data this is a county department right but they don't there's again they can't go search by address at the county recorder's office right so they had no way to find out right like and the amount of work that it would take to go find the owner search by the owner name find the deeds of trust figure out which deed of trust was still open on the the property and the rest like Go, go do that yourself at the county you're gonna spend a half hour per property right where for 50 bucks we do it for you for all the properties right so that's amazing. so a lot of, a that's lot hilarious. of different users that's not where we focus I just bring those up to just kind of say like I, it's really surprised me like none of those things I had in mind but where we do primarily focus is real estate investors, realtors um, mortgage. Uh, brokers. um, And I'll talk about each one of these uh, uh, commercial uh, agents as well as residential and uh, the home services folks. So with investors, right, you're, it's hard to cross these things because some people are looking to buy a property and other people are looking to gain a customer. And uh, for investors, they really have a hard time when we talk about the seller as a customer, right? But if you think about it, And what you're selling, you're selling, you know, an an opportunity for your customer to easily and quickly sell their home, right? And so I would encourage investors to think about those sellers as their customer and their marketing to those customers. Everybody's thinking about marketing deals, marketing to properties. And it's a bad mindset because then they're not thinking about who that person is on the other side and what they want. They're thinking about what the property is and what I want. That's not how you're gonna buy properties you're gonna buy properties by thinking about the seller what their needs are and how you can meet those needs so anyways um, so one is for you know on the real on the real estate investor side it it's figuring out who those people are that might want to sell their home right that I can go off and buy to meet my investing needs um, and then the other side for investors is the due diligence right of okay, you know is there enough equity in this home for for the offer can are they going to be able to sell it who who you know who are the owners of the home right okay so you know uh, oh it's inherited and there's three siblings right and this sibling like wants cash tomorrow you know and they're a junkie and this sibling's over here going i'm never going to sell that home that's where i grew up and you know met my first boyfriend and I'm never going to let it sell, right? It's so like you got to figure some of that stuff out. And so, there's a due diligence piece there. So, that's that's the real estate investors. primary things is is finding deals and doing the due diligence on those. For realtors, right? Realtors, at the end of the day, listings is is really the name of the game, right? You can be a buyer's agent, but listings, listings get you a sign in the in the yard, they get you, you know, all the rest that will bring you buyers and bring you the buyer activity, right? So listings is really the name of the game. And especially right now, even for buyers agents, right? There's not much listed. Inventory's never been lower. So you might have to go reach out to homeowners. To find a property, and it's pretty awesome if you do because if you start saying, Hey, buyer, what are you looking for? you can then put those things in as criteria, search for those homes, right? and then reach out just to those folks and say, Hey, any chance you'd be looking to sell? I've got a buyer, you know, they're a young family, whatever. You got to be a little careful on saying who they are so it doesn't get you don't get into discrimination things, but um, you know, uh, you can reach out on behalf of buyers to homeowners. Um, or you can just market yourself to homeowners that you think are most likely to sell. And um, there's kind of a couple different strategies there. Like we always talk about a farming, which is like everybody in your market should hear from you on a regular basis. Even if they just moved in last week and used another realtor, there's no reason not to start now with farming to get them to use you when they make their next decision, right? Mm-hmm. So... And then there's kind of the lead-based stuff of, oh, you know, uh, these folks just moved out and the house is vacant, uh, you know, non uh in foreclosure, they need help with a short sale. You know, there's kind of this more immediate thing. And, and as a realtor, you should really have programs for both where you're doing long-term farming and the immediate side. And then a little bit on the due diligence and stuff, right? No reason to get surprised. Um, by the by, the preliminary title report, by the uh, second mortgage that the you know folks didn't tell you about, and you know is going to keep them from having a a big enough down payment for the other house you just put into escrow that they want to buy. Um, so uh, you know it doesn't hurt to to look at some of that stuff too. Um, commercial brokers very similar to residential. Um, you know, again, finding those folks that want to buy or finding deals for your clients. Uh, you know, you got a client that has specific needs. You can go find the properties that meet those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, the home services side is really just about finding uh, a marketing audience for the most part. Um, you know, you're a roofer and, uh, wildfires are all over in the news in California. You're in a wildfire prone area. You hop in and you see, wow, there's 2,500 homes in my market area with shake roofs. Like, if you can't make that sale, right? Like, you know, um, shake being wood, you know, a wood roof. So lots of different uses, but but big picture, um, it's, it's about finding a group of people you wanna to market to um, and or doing due diligence on a property. Um, and also just sometimes, uh, finding contact, uh, contact information, right? So you can look up a property or person you're driving down the road, you see a boarded up property, right? And you're like, gosh, why is that boarded up? While you're sitting right there, you just click on your phone and we pull up the property and all the information about it and who owns it. And Oh, okay. They live, they moved to the East coast and, you know,
0: the, neighbors get the skinny because they're probably really upset that it's boarded up and they just can't wait to spill the dirt on everything that they have to know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, so if you run into a dead end, they're knocking on neighbor's doors is a really good idea. So, uh, but yeah, you know, so uh, or you're at a a dinner party and uh, one of your friends goes, Oh, did you know Jill is going to be selling their house and they're looking for a realtor? Right. And then you call your friend and they're busy and they don't introduce you to Jill. And you're like, what the heck? I need to talk to Jill. She's about to list her house. And so you go look up Jill and in her last name, you find her and reach out and say, hey, Jill, I was talking to Jan at, the, uh, at a dinner party the other night and she mentioned you're thinking about selling and I was, wanted to see if I could offer any assistance, right? Always um, be closing. That- <laughs> always be closing. And always be looking for those opportunities. And, you know, ideally Jan introduces you, but if, she's not, if she doesn't, what are you going to do? Just walk away? Like, make it happen.
0: One of the things that I've always been so impressed with Property Radar and you specifically is you you set it up front. It took you two years. You, the data was really important to you. And on the website, it says multi-source, baked off, back-tested, and back-filled. Lots of Bs <laughs> and maybe people don't know how important it is to you. And I, I had this conversation with another investment club uh, this week and I was like, this is four investors you know built by an investor so every data piece sort of has a reason why it's there but let's talk about the the bees what, what does that mean all those different words
1: yeah well uh prompt me with each one and then uh,
0: multi-sourced multi-sourced
1: so so multi sourced. like um with 3144 counties there is no company in the u.s that directly co- collects or in the world in existence that directly collects data themselves from every single county, right? There are some very big companies in this space, right? And you'll, you'll find that it's kind of a incestuous group, like these guys do really good over here. And so they sell that to these guys. These guys do really good over here. So they sell that to these guys. And so, um, but even in a lot of counties though, you do get uh, some of the big guys that say, you know, I don't like the way they're collecting it. I'm not going to buy it from them. And so we're going to, because LA County, right? Like most folks collect LA County themselves because they want to do it better. They have their unique things, right? Whatever. LA County is the largest county in the United States. It's larger than some states. It's probably larger than, you know, we could probably find two states that if you put together those two states, There's more property and more property value, maybe even three or four states you could put together and there's more property value in LA County. Um, So, uh, you know, in important counties, you'll find that there's multiple sources, right? And there's also issues where from all of the sources, nobody gets it in a timely manner. Uh, Alameda County, uh, I'm just picking on California counties here because those are the ones I know the best, is is notoriously hard to get data on a timely basis from. And so, if we bought data from one of the big providers uh, for Alameda County, um, we would get the data after the foreclosure occurs, right? Because uh, from a notice of trustee sale to the first auction date, it's only 21 days. And there's almost nobody that reliably gets data for Alameda County in less than 21 days. So we have to go there and collect that data ourselves. But then we also buy data, you know, so that later on we get that second look and we can compare the two and go, oh, shoot, we missed a a document or whatever, right? It's human
0: processes. Things
1: happen. So we multi-source.
0: Keep going. Okay. What is baked off?
1: Um, Baked off means... uh, that we, when we're looking at sources, we bake them off against each other. So we go through and we say, okay, let's take a thousand records, five thousand records, and compare them, right, and look at how the data compares between these two sources, and um, make sure that that you know, and we'll we'll bake it off against when we go collect data at the county ourselves. We'll bake ourselves off against another another person who's collecting that data and, and will learn from that. And sometimes, you know, that learning will be, okay, but this is so much less expensive over here. It still makes sense, but let's put in some rules in place to fix these things that we learned, right? So, Um, or, you know, sometimes maybe leverage artificial intelligence. Here's what it should look like. Here's how it's coming in. Okay. We can fix some of this stuff, you know, automatically. So, right. Like, so you're constantly looking for those, those opportunities to uh, get the best cost, right. And get the best quality. And uh, sometimes the best quality costs more. Sometimes though, you can get the best cost and apply systems to get as good or better quality at a lower cost. And we're constantly trying to figure out how to do that.
0: This might be a good point in time to talk about, you talked about how many counties. On, are there? I okay. do want to get the back tested because it fits right into this. Okay. Right. And back testing is
1: where we compare that source back to the county and back to the original document. Right. So, so now we've looked at these two sources, and we can see who does a better job. But what really matters is how does it look back against the actual document at the county, and mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of completes that whole circle. And we have a whole research team that does nothing but that all day. And you know, customers will come in and say, "Hey, this 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 is wrong," and then we'll they'll go look at it and go, "Oh yeah, that is wrong," and then they'll a correct the record. But then B, keep track of those things so that over time, we can improve our rules and improve these, this data ingestion process and collection process to hopefully one day have the best data out there.
0: You mentioned briefly the number of counties, so there's over 3,100. How many documents and notices are we talking about?
1: Oh, you know, the county recorders offices, you know, we have over a billion in our uh, database. And there's a lot more than that out there, right? We only go back so far, you know, and we've got at propertyradar.com slash coverage. You can go see kind of our start date. We're still filling some of that in for some of the uh, the uh, counties. It's a little hard, right? Because, um inevitably as we're collecting data from all these sources, maybe we'll get some, mean, we've got, we've got records in our database that are from the 1800s. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that I've got every record from that year through today. So what we try to do on our coverage page, and it's more art than science, is try to say, "Here's where, here's the date from which we start having complete records mm-hmm. for the thing that we're tracking, right? Um, we may have records earlier than that date and because they usually ramp up right over a period of time where you go go from nothing and suddenly you're getting something. But it's, it's clearly not every sale, you know, or every mortgage that happened in that County that, that month, that year. And then you'll see it ramp up to our, okay, now we've got pretty full coverage.
0: Wow. And, and the, finally, what is backfilled?
1: Um, Backfilled means that if we get a source that is uh, missing um, data or missing records, we'll go out and manually backfill it, right? So we're constantly trying to test against the county. And then if we, we see that there's a hole or something missing, we'll try to go backfill it and, and add it back in. Again, 3,144 counties, each is different. Some we can go online, like Maricopa County in Arizona, I can go online. Not only can I Really easily search for documents, but I can actually get the document image right mm-hmm. in California. There's not a county that has their document images online at least not for free right so uh, it, it you know all of these things I'm talking in generalities right it it comes down to to a, a plan or a methodology for each of those three thousand one hundred and forty four counties
0: well congratulations that is a huge feat in knowing how seriously you take data that, uh, that's, I know how much work went into that. What are some of the, uh, the new things in national that, uh, what's new?
1: What's new? Um, well, we added, uh, quite a few criteria. Um, you know, a lot of stuff like, you know, construction type and, and, you know, roof type and, you know, stuff like that. There was, there was, there was some fields that, you know, have been around and and that we just hadn't yet made available. So, uh, um, I don't remember exactly how many we added, but we added quite a few new uh, fields, both in the display and in our search criteria. Um, the biggest new thing, though, probably just because of our history in foreclosures, is judicial foreclosures. Mm-hmm. Um, we've always just tracked uh, really the trustee sales, which is non judicial foreclosures. And, uh, you know, so adding judicial foreclosures, even a state like California doesn't have very many judicial foreclosures, right, has mostly trustee sale foreclosures, there's still judicial foreclosures are allowed here and they are used. And we now have them in our national on our national servers, which is really cool. Something I've wanted to do for a long time. And then, of course, states like Florida that are pretty much judicial foreclosure only, right, we now have the notices for those states. And I mean, obviously, the biggest thing that new is forty-five new states, right? So yeah. uh,
0: that's sort of a big yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah, that, I've already that's been. Playing the,
1: that's the biggest piece. Um, but you know, it was, it was interesting. Like I just did analysis last night um, on uh, uh, judicial versus commercial. Actually, you and I did this together. I guess it wasn't last night; day before, um, where we said, "Geez, I wonder." what type of foreclosure is used by property type? And I and I told you instinctively, I said, we'll probably really only see judicial foreclosures on commercial properties. And the reason is when you do a non-judicial foreclosure in California, there's a one action rule that says, you can't also sue the person and get a judgment and come after them if you lose money when you take that property to sale. So on a commercial property, um, you know, especially they may go through the judicial foreclosure process, which takes a long time, but that allows them to go after that business person's other assets to try to collect the full debt. Um, and, and then we ran the analysis and sure enough, it was like the majority of judicial foreclosures were commercial, you know, industrial, ag, et cetera, properties. And what was it like 90 seven percent of residential properties were were uh non-judicial trustee sales
0: what are your favorite uh data points out of the 200 plus criteria that we have that you think people miss that they might not see the opportunity in
1: oh boy you know it's so use case specific right like i love uh, you know, we talk a lot now about like uh, cooking with data and like how these criteria are your spices uh, that allow you to make a great list. And, you know, our quick lists are like recipes um, that you can follow and uh, and the rest. And, and, and I would say that, you know, one of the things I am probably most proud of is, is those quick lists, right? And I would encourage everybody to be careful about just using them as they stand. Um, we do see this a lot in products, or, and and with gurus, they're like, you have to buy this X Y Z list, say vacants, right? You have to buy vacants, and um, you know, and they go sell vacants to everybody, right? And it's hundred dollars for a vacant list in your county. Like this is one of our two hundred criteria, right? And. And so they go, you know, promote the heck out of this, this thing. And like, you know, I see it comes up in my Facebook feed, I see Google ads, it's like vacants, the hot new list. Well, what happens every time with that is as soon as you do that, everybody in any kind of reasonable market starts getting 10, 15, 20 people calling them on every vacant list. Right. And so when we do these quick lists, historically they're good, you know, non-owner occupied. If you're in an area that doesn't have very many, uh, uh, you know, absentee owners, if you're in an area that doesn't have very many other investors, doesn't have a lot of uh, people out there hustling, looking for deals, you can probably use a standard absentee owner list and do really well. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you're in the other 85% of the country, right? Where there is some competition and stuff, there's probably five people mailing to that list already. And they're all saying the same thing with the same yellow postcard, you know, you know, we buy houses, right? And blah, blah, blah. And they're not focused on solving the person's problem other than just maybe we'll buy your house. Right. And uh, so I love these quick lists that we put together because they're a great training thing. If you go through each of those quick lists for your industry, whether it's home services or investing or whatever, you're going to get a bunch of ideas about criteria that can be used and how to use them. And you can even combine the quick lists, right? And this is the, you know, a company came out and they said, oh, we do list stacking, right? And so I buy a list over here, I buy a list over here, and then I put them together and I look for people that are on both lists. We just call that criteria, right? You add this criteria, you add that criteria, and you have a you have a list that does both, right? Like you don't need to to like get in the import export business and data munging business to like add two criteria. Oh, I'm looking for people who're in foreclosure and where the house is vacant, right? Like that's just two criteria. Just add them, and but that's a unique story, right? That's a different problem, a different thing that somebody needs than. Um, you know, something else. Somebody who's in foreclosure with equity is very different than somebody who's in foreclosure and underwater, right? Um, Somebody is in foreclosure on a rental absentee owner versus somebody who's in foreclosure on their primary residence is a very different thing. And to be sending the same postcard to all of those folks makes no sense, you know, and it doesn't have to be foreclosure, right? It could just even be you know, we talk about for realtors, you know, y- you can look at uh, one thing that we have that's pretty unique is we have demographic search capability. So things like uh, uh, um, age, presence of children, interests, etc. So, you know,
0: if- that's my favorite. I think that's such a cool way to fit, to really target your messaging to try to make it stickier. That's special.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you're a realtor and you have your target market, right? And so many realtors do every door direct mail or they get a farm from their title company that's every address in there and they send the same thing to everybody. But let me ask you, should you be sending the same postcard with the same message to somebody who's lived there for Six months as somebody who's lived there for twenty years, somebody who has equity and who doesn't have equity somebody who is retired versus a young family right so so like those people all have different needs right uh, the person who's uh in their retirement ages right may be thinking about selling and, and downsizing somebody with young children may be thinking about school districts right like so it, you know different messaging based you know uh, around that we call that segmenting and so you should segment your farm we make that super easy you can't do that with every door direct mail you can't do that with your title company
0: and the amount of money you can save and being able to market to the same people more than one time instead of blowing your entire marketing budget on a general farm list is you just have to do it data is not just for wall street anymore i think that's what's really fun about going out and speaking at these different organizations get it sounds cheesy but getting them to dream with data because in my experience a lot of times they just don't understand what data sets are available and ideas on how to put them together that make their marketing more sticky or get them really excited about just speaking to if somebody's really specializes in a senior market maybe they're a realtor that's part of a team and they really own a specific market or type of property or uh, seniors veterans you you just never know but just being able to find some of that in the data is really cool
1: you know and and cost is one of these really interesting things too like people go oh direct mail is really expensive you know it's 50 cents a postcard or whatever right and you know yeah if you start hitting every single door with a non-targeted message right it's really expensive you know there's kind of three there's three parts to the deal right one is your list, who are you going to send it to, right? And by narrowing down that list, right? And being more targeted, you're going to get a better return on your investment. So list is really important, right? Number two is message, right? If you've got a really good message for the people that are on that list, and I usually like to start with the message first, figure out some really compelling message, then find the list that matches that message, right? Mm -hmm. Of the people that you think need to hear that message. And you put those two things together and boy, you're going to get a huge response. And now that 50 cent postcard is cheap. You start doing every door direct mail or you're just, you're just wasting, you know, probably three quarters of your spend. And the spend there, the 50 cents for the postcard is much more expensive than the pennies for each record, you know, that you're going to buy. Um, you know, for the addresses, the list, what you're going to spend with us to make the list, and versus, you know, what you're going to spend, you know, thinking in the shower about what a good message is. <laughs>
0: Well, there's so much to explore, and I would just recommend that people uh, leverage the community. If you have any questions, community.propertyradar.com. Uh, Sean and I watch those and answer questions all the time if you get stuck. One of my favorite things about Property Radar is the ability to share criteria that I build. So, every once in a while, I have a somebody on Facebook. They're like, I'm stuck here. So, I just created a, an accessory dwelling unit. Three ways to identify accessory dwelling unit opportunities based on uh, property data, um, and then... Uh, design ideas i just three different ways is really easy to do so if you get stuck use a community would love to help out but you've got a link there that that you've
1: got a link there with the criteria used and if they click that link it opens in the app and applies that criteria then all they have to do is add their location right Mm -hmm. and and it'll show you show them all those opportunities Right, in their location.
0: If you're in the community, you'll see where I push those because I use them religiously and I'll, I'll even post them. You know what? I'm going to post a few. If you're on YouTube, I'm going to post a few of these. <laughs> so if you sign up for the three-day trial and you click on that, um, I'll I'll link the one that I did on the accessory dwelling unit so you can see. And what's fun is that once you open it, it's the cooking with the criteria. Then you start layering on the demographic data. You change the location. It's so cool. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite. Well. Yeah. 2021,
1: what's next? 2021. Uh, Looking forward to a vaccine. And, uh, you know, know hopefully this next year we get to to a point where we get to, you know, return to more normal uh, daily life. Uh, uh, I'm expecting we're going to see more stimulus. That's seeming more uh, likely here. I, I would say right now, and this is kind of reflected in the, in the recent jobs report, right? We're we're still, we're still very at risk of deflation, um, and, uh, you know, an economic recession. And, uh, but I believe Republicans, Democrats, the fed, I, I think at the end of the day, they will, they will print whatever is required to keep that from, from happening. And, uh, you know i think uh, republicans uh you know thought maybe less was required um and democrats maybe thought more was required and you know they'll probably meet somewhere in the middle but what i am confident in is if they shoot too low and we start to see that the economy there will be more and um you know and in that kind of reflationary scenario where the government's putting stimulus into the market government's not very good at this so um, there's going to be winners and losers and you want to pay a lot of attention to you know things like the cares act and ppp back you know earlier this year and whatever this new one is Um, because unfortunately you know government's just not very good at getting that money out to where it needs to be and so we're going to see losers we're going to see businesses that don't make it that should have probably gotten um, our support to get through this. Um, And uh, we're gonna see companies that didn't need it um, get support um, as well. So, uh, you know, and that will have impacts on your local economy, that'll have impacts on your local markets, that will have impacts on your business and your opportunity. So by paying a lot of attention to that, um, you will know you know where where to go and 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 what to invest in um, so I think you know uh, we saw a lot of movement uh, in uh, housing, and it was really funny. I had so many uh large uh, large funds contact me when covid was kind of first coming to fruition saying we hey we 're raising a hundred billion dollars." to go buy foreclosures and i said that's great but i don't think you're going to get to spend any of it and they're like what are you talking about and uh you know looks like at least so far i'm right but you know it's still there's a lot of people in distress a lot of people who can't make their their payments with the uh with the jump in cases that we have right now the coming lockdowns we may see a pretty big lockdown here in california here just in a couple of days
0: um
1: that could, get, that could get worse again. And, you know, there's a lot of people in, in distress. So, well, um, it's a, you know, watch the stimulus uh, is, is what I'd say, because that'll tell you how much st- distress we'll really see on the backside. And when we print this much money and devalue it, asset prices tend to go up. So, um, and also in these kinds of situations, interest rates tend to go down those things are pretty bullish for real estate. Uh, Um, (laughs) So if you see fear in your market and people dumping things out of fear, right? Buffett said, uh, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. I think it was Buffett or maybe it was Munger, his uh, his, uh, second in command,
0: I can't remember. Well, that is good advice for 2021. I'm excited congratulations i I know this has been a huge list your your team is just so talented and i'm I'm happy to be here so congrats you must be relieved um but
1: <laughs> more more work to do it's it's not a it's a never ending you know I would love to say oh we 're national and i'm done now but it's uh it, it's just it's just the start right like mm-hmm. we have you know uh, almost twenty years into our algorithms and work for our data in california and uh we've got two years in these other states but you know um i expect we'll still be finding places to improve you know 10 years from now and you know really uh, uh, and our customers are a big part of that uh you know we want you to let us know when you see things you know public records are never going to be perfect so actually, this is something we didn't talk about. And I think we should take a, a minute to explain it, right? Is we get people that come in and they go look up their house and they go, oh, the bedrooms are wrong. Or, oh, you know, it, it's showing my home equity line of credit as part of my debt. Um, well, we don't have access to credit data. We don't know what the balance on your home equity line is. So it might be zero, but we're going to take that worst case scenario and assume you've used your entire home equity line of credit. That's not a bug, right? That's just that's just the methodology that we take. And, and public records, there's typos on APNs. There's data entry issues. There's lots of stuff. It's never going to be perfect, right? You, this doesn't replace title insurance. If you want to go get a title insurance policy where they're going to go do that investigation and get you back a perfect report, On the property, that's $350. Not as many as you want for $100 a year. I mean, $100 a month, right? So, you got to be realistic about that expectation. So, what is it we're trying to do? We're trying to give you this great, amazing starting point that does 80, 90% of the work for you and gives you this huge jumpstart. And like, if you're in the marketing side, you know, let's say you you want uh, properties between this price and this price. Well, those prices are estimates and they can be off. But if you put between this price and this price, right? We're gonna miss a few properties that should have been included, right? And we're gonna include a few properties that shouldn't. But if there's 20,000 properties in your market, right? And you can narrow that down to the 500 most likely, right? And we include 20 or even 50 that are wrong, and we miss 50, right? You're still, that's 450 people that you're marketing to instead of 20,000. And that still makes you so much more efficient than marketing to everybody that, you know, it doesn't, you know, public records aren't perfect. If you're looking for perfect, you're not going to find it. There is not a vendor, a product, anything in the market that is perfect when it comes to public records. So that's, that's a really important thing to, uh, to understand. And if you come in with that right mindset, we can make you so much more efficient and help you grow your business so much faster. Um, it, it's, especially for everybody in the home and real estate services related businesses, public records give you the opportunity to know every potential customer by name Right. And to focus on those that most need what you have to offer. That is such a gift for our industry that other industries don't have. They have to rely on our radio broadcast to everybody where 90%, 95% of their dollars are wasted on people that don't care. We well, don't very have to do that. Channel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't have to do that. We can be very targeted on just the folks that are the right fit. Um, that where we offer real value and real service to those folks and they need us, whether they know they need us or not yet. So it's, it's a huge benefit to this, this industry. And uh, I encourage everybody, whether they use property radar or something else, or go down to the county and do it themselves to take advantage of it.
0: Yes, and there's a free three-day trial. If you have not played, please uh, give it a try, especially as we go national. Please uh, use support. Uh, Kim and the support team is really great and a great way to plug in and not get lost and use the quick list and the community if you have any questions. Sean, thanks for being here today. Congratulations. Big, big moves in 2020. (laughs) A bright spot of 2020. (laughs) Great to have you uh, with us, Aaron,
1: and and, uh, appreciate all your support. So.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast. You can find show notes and links to some of the resources mentioned in the show at datadrivenrealestate.com. Click that join the community and you'll be forwarded to the Property Radar community where you can ask questions about the current show and even see upcoming guests and ask questions there. We'd love to engage with you in the community, so check it out. Please don't forget to like, favorite, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform where you're listening to the show. It helps us out a great deal.